Hi there, professionals. Thanks for joining me on my new exciting podcast series, Industry Insights with me, DPDS. This series will take a look at stories from entertainment industry professionals from all sectors of the industry. It will be compiled with various levels of experience and will really indulge in a journey of their careers and utilize their stories and experience to help influence current professionals in the industry or total newcomers wanting to get into the industry. If you are new here, thanks for joining us. I'm grateful to have you listening. If you enjoy the episode, please consider subscribing and connect our community across social media. For those that have been here before, welcome back. Here's what we've got in store for you today. Well, hello, hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you might be in the world. And welcome back to Industry Insights with me, DPDS. Another exciting series uh, episode today. I have a great guest um, who I've known for a long time. Uh, got the pleasure to work with them uh, in that capacity. And I'm really excited for them to share their story and insights with you today. So welcome to Industry Insights, Vocal Director for Royal Caribbean, Ben Bryant. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Nice to be here. How are you? I'm good. I'm hanging in there, trying to stay positive. Yeah, I mean, that's all we can do right now, right? Yes. <laughs> stay positive. Um, I'm really excited to have you on the show today. I've been talking with different professionals throughout the industry, um, from performers to writers, directors, um, and really getting a, a great insight to their story um, and their insights to the industry and how they got where they are and where you're looking to go in the future. So uh, we're going to dive right in there. Um, my story with Ben, I was lucky enough to uh, be directed by him uh, many years ago. I think it was like oh, 2007, eight, maybe yes, yep. um, a while ago for Royal Caribbean. And I had a fantastic experience. And that's why I was so excited to bring you to the show because uh, you're one of the best uh, vocal directors that I've worked with. And, and you brought out so much in me, uh, which I took with me on, on for the rest of my career this far. Oh, thank um, you. You're welcome. So, yeah, I kind of said what you do. So just give us a, a, a brief um, description of you know, your current job role, the, the profession you're doing, what sector that falls in with the arts, um, and then we'll go back to, to your story. Sure. Um, so as you said, I'm vocal director at Royal Caribbean. I've been there for 18 years. Um, wow. And what that entails for me and the journey that I've had with Royal, it's, it's really um, evolved quite a bit. I have, of course, um, directed the singers in all of the production shows. Um, also, I've music directed um, two of the Broadway musicals, two of the six Broadway musicals that Royal Caribbean has, um, Hairspray and Cats. Um, they, we have other shows as well, but I've music directed those. Um, all through my time at Royal, I've also been involved in some of the casting uh, for Royal Caribbean. Um, and about four years ago, I really switched my focus at Royal. They moved me into the lead vocal director for the worldwide auditions. So up until COVID, I um, spent most of my year traveling around the world doing auditions uh, for singers and dancers. There's a team of us, obviously, the choreographers for the dancers. Um, I would occasionally go back to the studio sometimes to train a new vocal director or pick, do fill in to to. Um, vocal direct um, some of the shows. I like to stay, you know, current with what's happening at the studio. So I try and do that at least once a year. Um, yeah. But when I worked with you, I was there pretty much full-time vocal directing shows. And I'm, I'm no longer doing that. I'm much more in the traveling side now. Perfect. So uh, kind of within the cruise industry travel sector, providing entertainment right now for, for uh, you know, one of the, the top three, I would say, leading cruise lines in the world. Yes, yes. 
Awesome. So 18 years, that is sounds like a, a lifetime. That's a great achievement. And like I say, but you've managed to do a varied role while you've been there. Um, like I say, I was lucky to be directed by you when I was working there. Um, and that was fantastic. So I know before that, though, um, if my memory serves me right, that you, um, you know, you were a performer yourself. Um, yes. And you uh, did perform um, in some shows. And I kind of want to go back to the beginning. Um, you know, if you can just tell everyone, you know, where you're from. I think originally, are you from Georgia? No, that's where I live currently. But I'm originally from Minnesota. I'm from the United States, but from the state of Minnesota is where I grew up. Minnesota. Okay. But you're living in Georgia now. Yes. Great. So go back and tell us a little bit about your, your training, if you did train, where you went to school and what that entailed. Um, and then we'll look at how you first got started in the industry. Yes. Well, I, um, I was fortunate to grow up um, in a school that had lots of music and theater and band and choirs and things. And so as a child, I participated in all those things. I played trumpet, played piano, guitar, and then I sang a lot. Um, I really sang from the minute I could speak. I just was a singer. That's who I was pretty much. Um, but I ended up going to college, uh, to Occidental College in Los Angeles. It's a small private liberal arts school. Um, they do have a great theater department, music department, but I really went there just to have a good education and to get to Los Angeles. I really wanted to go to California. And um, that was a great choice for me because I ended up um, having some great training there and uh, getting involved in the musical theater scene in Los Angeles, as well as the oratorio um, business um, for singers. I was trained classically. Opera didn't hold so much appeal to me, but the oratorio singing, things like Handel's Messiah, uh, Bach uh -huh. B minor mass, those kinds of things. So I started my career doing those kinds of things. Um, but evolved. I, I, I was very lucky, very fortunate. Um, a couple years out of college, I got cast in The King and I on Broadway, and I left Los Angeles and moved to New York, where I lived for seven years. Um, wow. And I did The King and I on Broadway and did a lot more oratorio in New York City and at Lincoln Center and um, lots of national tours and um, regional theaters around the country. Um, but I realized for me, I around 30, I decided I was, I wanted to step away from the performing. I wasn't exactly sure where that was going to head, but um, at that time I kind of felt like, okay, I've done the performing thing. I don't know if I want to keep doing this for 25 more years, but I didn't want to, yeah. I didn't want to leave the industry because I really love music. I love theater. I love working with singers and dancers. And, and um, so I, it wasn't something that I had a grand plan exactly knowing where I'd end up now here many decades later, but um, I definitely listen to my heart which was kind of telling me hmm i'm not sure if i'm really in this so much anymore as on the performing side yeah yeah i mean wow that's a great story already i want to go back um, a little bit obviously you did that training and just talk a little bit like you moved to california um you know you've, you you studied and you're out in the the wide world what did you what was your um expectations of of what you you wanted your career to be at that point were you very set on you know uh musical theater or what did you have a plan in mind or were you just going with it like go back to that kind of stage yeah in um well that would be when i was in college i would say um my i had a teacher who was very classically oriented so i was c kind of on a path of you know doing that's where oratorio came in and she really was interested in me doing opera and going to grad school and that kind of thing but just before I graduated from college, I really realized that musical theater was more where my heart was and who I am. After college, um, I was 
I really started to focus on musical theater. That was my passion. And in, in LA at the time, there were probably three or four major theaters that would have seasons. Um, and so I would just audition for everything. I auditioned, auditioned, auditioned. Um, I, uh, did take some voice lessons during that time, but I had just graduated from college. So I was really more focused on auditioning at that point. And I ended up getting cast in a few shows there and, and some smaller regional theaters in the Southwest of the United States. And so I just started getting some experience. Um, I'm not a dancer, so I never was much of an ensemble kind of a person. Um, so I was lucky to just do some small kind of featured roles at that time in, in you know, old school musical theater shows. Um, but yeah, I, was, I, I think in my mind at that time, I was really focused on the musical theater and Broadway thing. Right. Now, how does, um, you know, somebody that's just starting out in the industry, you, you've moved to California. Um, how, how did you get through those years of auditioning? Were you in a lucky position to have somewhere to live secure? How did you, you know, navigate your way through being, you know, auditioning and trying to find a, a job in the entertainment industry? Yeah, that's, that's the hardest thing about it. I think when you're starting out, because obviously you, you're just new at everything. Um, I did several different kinds of day jobs. Um, I worked reception at a hair salon. Um, I did, um, I worked at a theater in the box office. Um, I, I really tried to network with other, um, friends who were working or some people that I met. Um, one of the things about oratorio is that I was by far the youngest person usually getting hired. Most of the people I was working with at that time were in their thirties, forties, and fifties. And those people, yeah. a lot, a number of them took me under their wing and kind of, you know, they saw I was very serious and I, I was really focused on it. And so they would help, um, get me some jobs, especially in the chorus for, you know, big oratorio things. So that really helped me and that gave me some experience. And I, and I started to meet more and more people. Um, but yeah, it's, that's the hardest thing was um, just uh, I, the biggest thing I can tell someone at that stage in your life is to just, if you, if you get an opportunity to sing or perform, do it. Um, I remember auditioning mm -hmm. for, there was um, uh, a college um, production at the University of Southern California. They were doing a one act opera of a Gershwin opera called Blue Monday, which no one's ever heard of because it's not one of his biggest hits. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was like the African American Opera Guild of Southern California was putting it on there. And it was a very low budget thing. But I met some really amazing people during that period. And um, I just did it. I had met, and most of the friends that I was with at that time, we were doing all those kinds of things. I mean, we laugh now about it was like, you know, you'd be one week, you'd be doing something like a little opera thing. And then you'd be like, singing in a country review for the weekend and <laughs> right. something. I also did um, a day job I had. I was at Disneyland. I did for um, about six months. I was in the Dapper Dan's Quartet, which is um, a male quartet that goes singing around the park. And I was, um, I actually was a sub, so I wasn't there all the time, but I would sub in and be there. Um, and that was a great experience. Nice. So, uh, you, that sounds like you're doing so much. And like I say, I spoke with a lot of people during my, my podcast interview and that's a, a real struggle, you know, when you first come out into the industry and you're kind of looking for work and in between and doing uh, numerous amounts of jobs. Uh, but the positivity of that, that kind of has come out from the discussion is that, you know, they, like you said, you can meet many different people and contacts. Um, and a common theme is that, you know, you can meet these contacts and it can lead to, oh, you know, I have a gig here or you can be introduced to somebody else. Has any 
any experiences like that happen to you where you have met uh, a contact through, you know, a gig or a job and it's led to further auditions or casting? Yes. Well, actually, my um, getting cast in The King and I on Broadway came about because I was doing a, a, a big major production of The King and I in Los Angeles. And so when they were casting for the Broadway production, the casting directors, um, they actually called me before they came to Los Angeles to set up an appointment because they knew I had just been in this production and they had called the producers and asked if they could, you know, audition people from that and if they would recommend people. And so because of that production, they recommended me. And um, otherwise I would have had to go to an open call at that point in my career. And so, but they, you know, called me and four auditions and a year later I ended up um, doing that show. So that was, and there are, I have several experiences like that where um, I worked for someone and then later in their career, they remembered me and, and, you know, gave me a call and said, Hey, would you be willing to do this and come over here? Um, so yeah, it's one of the things I always, I learned early on, but I always tell um, young people who are breaking into the industry is you, you, you never know who will cross your path again. So it's always best to treat everyone with the utmost respect. Even if your experience at that time might not be the best, you don't know what, what's happening in their lives and what's going on. And some of those people will come back and you'll, they'll be in positions where they can give you a job or, or, or people right. may ask them about you. So it's just, um, I mean, it's a good way to just behave in general, but particularly in the business, so much of um, what gets you places later on in your career is your reputation. And if you're known as someone who's a hard worker and, and easy to work with and a joy to have in the room, um, that really gets you a long way. Yeah, 100%. I think that's such important advice. Um, and I think the, and the entertainment industry you know, seems so large um, but when you're in it, actually, it seems very small. You suddenly know someone who knows somebody. Yes. You know someone who knows someone. It's like this small knit community. So I think that's fantastic advice. So going back, you you know, you had this audition. Uh, you did a production of The King and I, and then you get this uh, call that you're going to have, you know, a private audition to possibly be, um, you know, in New York on Broadway for The King and I. Talk us through that. And how did you feel once you, you know, you were successful and you got cast in that role? What were your feelings? And how did you feel then suddenly about having to move to New York? Oh, it was it was crazy. It was um, amazing. The process of the audition um, was really good because I felt very prepared. It was obviously it's a role I had done already. It was I was totally right for it. And that kind of gave me a, um, one of the first epiphanies I had about auditioning because I'm not someone who loved auditioning. I have some actor friends who they love auditioning. I never loved it. <laughs> it's all, it's such a difficult yeah. experience. You go in this room and, you know, you're not on a stage and you have to just in, you know, two minutes show some things. So one of the things that I, I learned from that audition process was that I knew that I had what it, I had the ability to do the role and I kind of just let it go and thought, if I don't get it, it's not because I'm not good enough. It's just because I'm not what they're looking for. They're looking for something different. And that taught me. And so I ended up getting it. I had to have a series of auditions and, um, you know, took four, four auditions over the period of a year. But um, when I finally got it, it was just, you know, I remember after the last audition, I could just feel they liked me. And I just thought, okay, if it, it just, it, if it doesn't work out, it's just not meant to be. It's not like, you know, how you feel sometimes, Oh, I should have done this or I could have done that. But I was prepared. Yeah. I did my very best. And um, so I think that uh, that taught me a lot. And it carried me through in, in auditions going forward after that was to just be as prepared as I can and then let go of the rest of it. Because you, there are so many things that aren't to do with you. You just have to trust that if it's going to work out as long as you've you know, done your homework and done your best, then you just let it go.
Um, so then right. the moving to New York aspect, that was huge because it was, um, I got a call maybe two weeks before rehearsal started and um, had to move to New York from Los Angeles. And this is in January. So, you know, LA is nice in the winter and New York is in the winter. <laughs> yeah. um, so yes, shock a shock to the, to the system. system. And I had to find a sublet, you know, and so I, again, through... Had you been to New, New York Yes, before? I had. I, um, twice before. I went in college, a uh, little holiday trip, and then okay. um, I went in the summer. Actually, ironically, the summer before that. And this is something that I um, think does help when you're a young person. Because I had been to New York just very briefly on a trip. But I, to my, you know, after auditioning in L.A., in my mind, it was like, okay, well, New York, that's where I want to go next. But, you know, how you, if you don't know what it's like to audition there, you think, oh, it must be really scary and so much harder or whatever than it was in L.A. to me. So I, the summer, right. be, actually, I think I had done an audition already for The King and I, but I had an opportunity to go out to the East Coast and I went to New York and I just did some auditions for shows I, I wasn't even right for and just got on lines and just did them to just demystify it. And after doing it, it was like, oh, it's really just the same as what I was doing in LA. The difference is in LA, you have a car so you can warm up in your car and you're in your private space. <laughs> in New York, you have to like go out on the street or go to a parking structure, or, you know? And so it made me, it put me at ease realizing, okay, it's really the same thing. It's just, there's more people and right. it's in a big city where you're, you know, crowded together. Um, and so that helped, that helped me understanding what that was. So you're already, yeah, you already had, because I, I would say like the first time I ever went to New York and then suddenly was in Times Square, was overwhelmed. I can't imagine what it must be like as a young yeah. performer suddenly arriving in the big smoke on, and seeing all the Broadway around you and thinking, oh, this is, this is real. How <laughs> yeah. do I do this? So that's great. So you moved to New York, you tried to, you, you got the sublet and then, how long was it before you were in the show? Well, so I literally, I moved there and started rehearsals immediately. It was the beginning of the, the rehearsal process for the show. So, um, you know, I got there and probably five days later, I started rehearsals and um, we had rehearsals for a month. And that was just amazing because here it was this incredible cast and just a really good vibe and, and a really great experience. Nice people. So many of those people I'm still friends with. And um, there were a lot of children in that production. If you know, the King and I, there's the, the children of the king and mm -hmm. so you know as the youngest was three years old and i think the oldest was maybe 14 and so they're now all adults and everything and, and every maybe we had a reunion a couple of years ago where here you know some of those kids now have children and so we had a nice um it really was something that was a bonding experience for everyone involved um the rehearsals were just you know really the same as what i had experienced in los angeles productions the one thing i would say that's maybe a little different is that there were a lot more people on the production side you know we had three stage managers and we had um child wranglers for the kids and multiple you know i, I directors, assistant directors and um, associate conductors and mm -hmm. things that we worked with. So there were a lot more people, but it was really the same process. So I felt very at home and it was wonderful. The, the, the next process that was maybe bigger than I had experienced before was on Broadway, and I'm sure it's similar on the West End, um, we go into the theater and we have um, about two weeks of rehearsal in the theater. And then we go through a period that's called 10 out of 12s where we open the show for previews, but we still have rehearsal. And so um, yeah. you can do any, you can work any 10 hours in a 12 hour period. And so a lot of times we'd be there from like 11 in the morning till like six rehearsing. And then we'd have a show at eight o'clock that night and 
implement changes and do that. So you do that. So that process was very demanding, a lot of sitting around, a lot of waiting, a lot of, you know, last minute changes. And um, so that was sometimes you do a change during the day, but you wouldn't do it at that night show because they wanted to wait another day. So you had to memorize what changes you had, but then not do them that night and then implement them the next day. So that was. And did, did, did that always go to plan or like how, cause I, I, for me, when, you know, you have last minute changes and you've been rehearsing for so long, it can like muscle memory wise, you can kind of slip into something. How, how did um, you deal with well, that? From, luckily for me, it, there, it was all fine because I, you know, I wasn't playing a leading role. And at that time, actually, when I first was cast, I was in the ensemble and I understudied the role of Luntai. I ended up taking over the role, but um, so I wasn't in the high pressure seat of like carrying the show, but the, the, the people who played the main leads, there were some difficulties at times. Um, and also just with set piece, you know, changing how the choreography of the movement of set pieces um but we we always got through it and you know they were true professionals that was one of the i would say one of the most inspiring experiences um being on stage with tony award winners and just watching how they worked in rehearsal right. and every night that you know they really that's why i learned how to recreate a performance that you already have it's not just doing it over again you actually have to go through that process of recreating it so that um the person who's watching the 50th performance gets the same energy and creation that the yeah. first audience got. Yeah. That's amazing. How, how were the audiences say from Broadway to, from to LA, you know, the States being so mm -hmm. big and, you know, each state being so different. Is it a different type of audience that you perform to on Broadway? Obviously you get a lot of tourists around the world as well. Uh, in in regards to LA, was it a different experience? The same show, but obviously different. Yes, place. it's actually very different. Um, New York, uh, it, it's an interesting place. So Los Angeles, it's just a big city audience. I would say LA is not typically a major theater town, but you know shows get you know good good audiences. Um, also, the theaters are different in Los Angeles. They're very large. Most of them were built, you know, after 1960, and they're giant. They may have 2,500 or 3,000 seats. The, the theaters in New York right. City are older, and so they're more like 1,500-seat theaters, and they're, they're more balconies, so people are a little bit closer. It's a little bit more intimate. But I would say the New York audience is a very – it's much like London – very cultivated theater audience. They're used to seeing world-class theater at any day of the week they want to go. And so they're very discerning, but they're also really excited about being in live theater. Most of them have been many, many, many times. So it's not like, oh, this is a new experience. There's also the tourist. And then they also bring an excitement to the audience because of course they're in New York and they're yeah. watching a Broadway show. Um, also, I would say being in a new Broadway musical and um, Lou Diamond Phillips was the king at the time. So he was a you know television and movie star. Um, and then Donna Murphy, who had um, won a Tony Award, she was a New York kind of star. But there were um, a lot of celebrities that would come to the show in the first six months to see people they knew, you know, see these people they knew. And so that was always very exciting. It's like, you know, for I would say the first six months of the show, you know, this, one of the stage managers, the associate would come up and just backstage and go, oh, celebrity alert. Arnold Schwarzenegger's Arnold Schwarzenegger's right. fourth row. And the thing is, they would tell us that because during intermission, most of them would come backstage. So they wouldn't be in the audience right. and be mobbed by people. So that was a really unique experience, different to Los Angeles, where, you know, at any given time in the, during the intermission, there'd be many, many people. I can't even list them all. Just famous people that would be there kind of hanging out. And for them, they're a little weird because they're like, I'm watching your show, but they, you know, they don't want to interrupt you. So yeah, yeah a unique experience for sure.
I would be very distracted if Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> was in the fourth row. I'd probably be fired because yeah. waving or doing something inappropriate. So that's a great experience. I mean, you know, one of your your first jobs to be, you know, out in Broadway doing that show is fantastic. Um, talk about coming towards the end of that and then, you know, transitioning into what was next. For yeah, you. so I... Um... You know, obviously being able to be in a Broadway musical so young, I was 25 at the time, um, was wonderful and a great experience. And it, it spun off into, you know, I did lots of other theater around. But one of the things I would say, I feel like it was such a great experience, everything from the cast and the show and the experience. And also that time in New York was a real renaissance and everything was hustling and bustling and the economy was amazing. And so... I kind of felt like I had completed something. That was, that's the best way I can describe it. And I just started to pay attention. You know, I started, you know, auditioning for other things. And I basically, what I realized was I didn't want to pound the pavement for the next 25 years. I had friends who were 10, 15 years older than I was. And I realized, oh, they're doing the exact same thing I'm doing. They're just auditioning now. And they're, if they get things and they don't get things. And, um, and I realized my yeah. personal feeling was I want, there's something else out there for me. Um, and so I actually, one of the best pieces of advice I got from someone was, you know, New York is always going to be there. Um, I had friends still in Los Angeles. I had been doing at that point, I started doing some um, studio recordings for like jingles and TV commercials and stuff. And so I'd go out to LA uh, periodically and I had good friends who were still living there and, and they said, Hey, just come, you can crash on our couch for six months. And I thought, well, someone had told me, they said, if you, if you want to, in order to, to, to really get clarity about where you want to go, you have to make a space in your life for it. Because if you're busy and auditioning every day and you're working a day job or doing this, that you don't really have the, you'll just be stuck in that treadmill. So I did yeah. that. I went to LA and I um, did some studio singing. I thought I would end up doing more with that. But um, I, I, then I really realized I was like, Oh, I didn't miss the New York hustle and bustle. And I, I left it. There are some people who, move to New York and never want to leave. And then there are some people who stay too long and they start to get bitter because it is, it's a hard, it's, right. it's, it takes a lot of energy. And um, it's, a, it's the only city I've ever lived in where I felt like I had to get out of the city periodically because there's just so much energy and it's amazing. But there are times when you just want to shut that off for a minute. So, um, so once I left yeah. that um, it, and then what was interesting is after a few months um, I started um Vocal. I had been vocal coaching even while I was still working in New York. People would just come up, you know, who friends who knew me. They would ask me to, you know, oh, I have an audition. Can you like play for my? Can you help me rehearse it and help me learn my part and do these different things? So I started doing that a lot, and it just word spread, and people started, you know, coming to me about that. And that continued when I was in Los Angeles, and that led me to direct a few um, cabaret shows and. Um, work on a couple of shows where I just was the rehearsal accompanist and different things. And I realized that I really loved being on that side, that I was still part of the rehearsals. I was still working with the singers, but I wasn't the one on the stage. And I, yeah. and I actually have come to understand, you know, now much later in my life that that's, I mean, I loved performing and it was great and I'm grateful I did it, but I actually much more love watching another singer or helping them through their process than me doing it for myself. And that's how I know I'm in the right place. You know, other people, yeah. the idea of them not being on stage is, would be bizarre to them. So it's everyone has their own path with that. Yeah. And I you just talking about that and your path and how much enjoyment that that gives you. I just remember, you know, being in a rehearsal studio with you and it was kind of my first 
uh, it was my first mm. job in the States at the time uh, with Royal Caribbean. And I remember being in this room with you, the vocal director, and these um, five other singers who were, were phenomenal and just thinking like, oh, how did I get here? Like, and just being so nervous and so petrified of what was going to come out of my mouth. But anyone that knows you or doesn't know you, like you, you have these <laughs> massive eyes welcoming and you were just so enthusiastic and welcoming and it put me at ease so much and I remember then coming back the second time to work with you and just being a lot more relaxed and know the process um, and just felt in a safe environment to be able to try things and it, it might not work it might sound terrible but you gave the you do give that confidence and that room and safety to be able to try things and that's what rehearsals are about like to try different things and try and get the best out of us and I'd be like no, I can't do that. I, mean, I can't do that. You, you can do that. Gonna, you're kind of gonna do that, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you. So that was a fantastic. Oh, thank you. Experience. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, for for people wondering on their journey, you know, one of the things I don't think I would be a director like that had I not had an experiences and many experiences as a singer with incredible people and also some people who weren't good. And I realized, oh, that is not the way I would do that. And um, that those experiences gave me the confidence and the understanding of what it feels like to be a singer coming into a situation. You know, I think that's, I always, I, I often yeah. think about that. It's like, oh, wow. You know, there are a lot of great coaches who aren't singers, who are more musician types, but I always think to myself, it's like, how, how do they really know because they've never done it? And so that's just my connection yeah. to it. And, and like I said, some, one of my best voice teachers was not a major singer, but she had the incredible technique and she knew how to really help people. So everyone has their, their own way to do it. But I do, it's so nice to hear that feedback because um, that is something that I focus on when I'm working with singers. And also, well, because for me, when you provide a space for people to explore, that's where the most interesting and the most successful things come out. I always say that I only had a certain number of ideas in my head, but if I allow singers to bring all their ideas, I can help edit them. But then we come up with many, many more interesting choices and you'll find things maybe you didn't even know you would do. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I just remember learning so much from that experience. I had never, you know, sung in a, really in a six part harmony and this, and it was all these diff different things and your job was to make that happen, and it did. So if you are listening to this and you do get the opportunity to work at Royal Caribbean one day, uh, hopefully you'll have an experience of uh, Ben at some point. Um, so you talked about Royal Caribbean. You know, you're still there. You've been there for 18 years plus. Um, how, when you first started there to where you're at now, obviously you've spoken about how your role has changed and what you're doing and you're into casting. Being that vocal director for that long, um, you know, you've seen lots of talent come, shows come. What's your favorite memory at the moment of your, your time being a vocal director there? What have you taken away from it that's been wow. your most enjoyable? Well, there's memory? so many, obviously, over 18 years. Um, I would say, I mean, the overall reason why I'm still there is it keeps challenging me. Um, and that's something I think that's important to realize that there isn't, you know, the idea that you make it or you get somewhere and all of a sudden it's just like, oh, easy sailing. That, that's not really what happens. Yeah. I mean, you, you get more comfortable. And truthfully, of course, now in my 50s, I have a lot more. I've just experienced things more times than I did when I was 25. So there are some things that are less intimidating. But there's a lot of things, you know, that are new. And, um, you know, I had never music directed a Broadway musical. And so I've gotten to do that twice. And for multiple, you know, for nine casts of Hairspray and nine casts of Cats. So that's a lot more than people get to normally experience on land because you usually do it once or twice. You're not 
doing it over and over again. Um, so I would say that the challenge of uh, working with so many different singers from so many different places, um, but being able to do it on the same material. So the material is not new for me, but the people change. And so really for me, it's, it, it, I've opened myself up to the challenge of actually embracing that, the difference. And also I would say the company has too. That's something why I like, why I've stayed so long is it's not just a cookie cutter. We have to do exactly the same that's been done from, you know, five years ago. It's now tastes are changing. People are changing. Um, and, and really that also ties into the other thing I always tell people, especially my friends from Broadway who haven't done anything with cruise ships. What's so unique as an American working on with, um, performing on a cruise line is we can hire people from all over the world. And when you work in the States, unless someone has a green card or they're from here, you, that's all you get to work with. But you know, I would have never met someone like you if I only worked in a place that people could work yeah. in the States. And I love that. Um, you know, I really literally have friends all over the world and it's also opened my eyes to different, you know, the way people are trained when they're young and how, you know, just like what you're talking about, the stories of how people come to performing and what their experiences are, are very different all over the world. And it's just, it's very interesting and it's definitely enriched my life and my understanding of singing and singers. Um, and it's challenged me a lot more than just working with people who have the exact same kind of background that I have. Yeah. And seeing so many different performers from all over the world, like you say, you're having different experiences, like just a question for me to think. So you say, um, you know, British singers are from the United Kingdom. How different are we in our training or how we are compared to say the States? Is there a big difference or what, what do you notice most differently or I, there's not really I do that see much a difference. A difference. Um, I would say, I mean, first of all, talent is talent wherever you're from. So the, the, and the kinds of people that we hire and have worked that I've gotten to work with are all very talented, but I would say um, in the United States, we're still a little more separated as far as you're either a dancer or you're a singer. Um, that kind of mixed training, trying to do a triple threat, singing, acting, dancing is less popular among the, the, the schools here that, that train people. Um, so I would say in England, the schooling there, so many people are much more trained across all three. So for instance, I love it. Like when right. we're, I'll just say, that's why a lot of the people who um, do cats for us tend to come from London because we need a lot of young dancers who can sing well and can act and can cover roles. And so a lot of the people who are coming out of the, the schools in the UK have that training where, yes, you might be focused as a dancer. That's your primary thing. But they've had lots of voice lessons and, have, and have, are not shy to sing in front of people, whereas Americans tend to. Of course, there are people who go across those borders, but um, people tend to. I know I was a singer. I was not a dancer. Um, and I have many friends who were dancers and they're, yeah. you know, later in life, they're like, they started singing so they could extend their careers, but none of them would want to do a solo or cover a role. So that, that breadth of training that happens in the UK, I think is very um, unique compared to the United States. Um, and I also think there's another thing that's interesting yeah. is I think Australians and people from the UK are much more apt to think of traveling around the world performing. You, people in the United States, I think because our country is so large and there are so many cities you can work in, or we do national tours that just stay in the United States for years on end, um, they're less... They're mm -hmm they're less outward looking as far as, oh, what, what's going on in England and what's going on in Australia or Europe? Um, partly because it is harder for us to work there, but, um, you know, and so I think that it's, it's Americans in general are a little more just focused on what's happening here. Whereas I find um, people in the UK are, they're very 
aware of what's happening on cruise lines and very aware of what's happening in Australia because yeah. they work all over. We 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 are like <laughs> get us out of here. Well, the winters, yes. <laughs> the weather, take yeah, take us away. That's really interesting. Um, thank you for that insight in that. So, talking a little bit more about. Uh, you know, you as a vocal director and casting. Um, if we're, you know, someone's listening to this and they're about to start auditioning or they're thinking about auditioning for a cruise line or, or any kind of show, you're, you, you know, you're casting. What do you, you know, apart from specific, if they're coming for a specific role, um, you know, a general audition tips, what do you look for a performer when you're, you know, they're coming to an audition? How does someone good have question. a good audition? Um, well, the, the main elements are, um, versatility. Um, if you're a singer, I want to see someone who can act a musical theater song and connect with it that way and have a good voice, obviously, but then can also turn around and do a pop song, sing it like a pop diva or appropriate, you know, to, to the style of the song and be comfortable doing that as well. So vocally, those two things and with good technique, because as you know, having done it, um, the vocal demands can be very demanding on a ship. If you're doing several shows a week and the shows are different types of material, that's one thing that in my opinion is much more challenging about a cruise ship than it is about doing the West End or Broadway is that when you're doing West End and Broadway, you're doing one yeah. thing and you're doing that over and over. Whereas on the cruise ship, you're going to be, you know, you might sing Phantom of the Opera in one show and you might do Celine Dion in the other. So you're the, the right. breadth of material really needs very good technique. Um, I'm very impressed with a lot of the young people coming out of schools these days. I think that has been a huge change over my 18 years is that people are much more well-versed in different styles now, especially people coming right out of schools. So that versatility and strength of technique so that when I listen to you sing, it's like, oh, I know that person can do that over and over. I'm not worried that they're, they just squawked it out for the audition. So good technique and versatility. The other thing I would say is one of the things that gets people hired is that you come across as a person that I'd want to work with. Cause that's half of it really. I mean, once, if everyone's talented to the same degree, it's going to be that person that one of the things I do when I audition singers is I coach them a little bit on purpose. Even if it's like, even if what they're doing is great, yeah. I'll say, well, let's try this and let's work with that. And oh, would you try this? And to see how, how that back and forth goes, because ultimately that's what rehearsal is about. Um, I want to see what you bring, but I also want to see how you can adapt to things that we want to try. Um, and so those main things is get your technique solid, really um, work on being able to sing different styles of music and then make yourself available. And I know that's the thing that's hardest about an audition is you're nervous and you have this time, you know, short amount of time. And so I think the main thing that people um, can remember is just be yourself um, think of it as, you know, you're, you're um, going to do a workshop with someone. That's, I always try and remind singers when they come in. Once I start working, I'll say, hey, this is not a performance now. I'm just workshopping this with you to just see how we work together. Because this would, you know, it's like how you work with me. So yeah. I try to put people at ease for that. Do you, do, you think that's, do you think that's hard sometimes? I mean, I know for myself, I've been in that position, you know, at an audition to, you know, kind of pull back from that and be like okay this is a workshop because ultimately that you want the job or you're trying to book that gig do you see that a lot of time that it's hard for performers to 
let go and and kind of get rid of the nerves and sometimes it can be you know derail them and then they have to come back you know sometimes it took me a couple of uh, auditions in the yes. same job yep, to get absolutely. that job yes Does the answer is sense? yes it, it, well it is very hard and the thing that i love about the team that we have at royal caribbean is all of us on the team have been performers in one capacity or another whether actors singers or dancers or all three um and the philosophy of those of us who are on the various teams, I'm on the, I'm kind of on the core team that does them all, but we bring in the different directors for the different Broadway musicals and such. And the casting director, we um, use Duncan Stewart casting in New York for our Broadway um, product. And he has the exact same idea. And I've learned a lot from watching him in auditions, helping put actors at ease because um, so that is part of the test though, is that um, now it doesn't mean that if someone can't totally do that on the spot, we first of all, get it. Um, but those who really can do that, they definitely have a, a higher chance of being um, cast because we see, oh, they handle that. And we also see people that come back time and time. And that's another thing we love to see is that people do get better at the audition and they start to understand and be a little more comfortable. And many times there are people, it's like their third or yeah. fourth audition and then they get hired. So yes, keep at it. And the only way you get better at auditioning and that you feel a little more comfortable is to just do it a lot. You know, as much that was once something I had to learn um, early on, and that I so appreciate with singers is that you can practice a song all the time you want, but if you never do it in an audition and you don't have those nerves and the fact that here's an accompanist you've never worked with or maybe mm-hmm. not worked with much, it's just it's a different experience, and so you just have to do that many many times before you start to feel like you can be comfortable. Uh, what's uh, talking about something more fun like the audition process so say you've just spoken about maybe uh, an accompanist that's <laughs> playing something <laughs> maybe not right or too fast and uh, what's the have you got a funny memory of a singer or a performer like they've started the song but you know it's not going that well on that side like how, yes how, how do there, i mean when it's someone's own song i don't usually step in unless it's just a train wreck um, which that has rarely happened. There are a few times when we might have a new accompanist and it's callback material and they just take it too fast and I'll just stop. I'll say, you know, what, let's take it again and I'll give the tempo. And um, so I'll usually stop it if it's going to be a train wreck or if they get through the song and you can tell like it was just not right. I'll say, hey, do you want to try that again? You know, just get with the accompanist. And that's another thing that is a, a little key tidbit is one of the things that I look at the most is how a singer interacts with the accompanist. Um, if you treat them with respect, if you actually know what you're talking about when you talk to the accompanist, like how to give them your tempo, because that's part of it is you have to instruct them what you need um, and that your music is in order and clear and, you know, easy for them to to turn pages. Um, That's the first thing. If someone comes in and all their pages are loose and they just are like, oh, well, you know, do normal tempo and they don't give them a tempo. I already know, oh, this person is not really prepared for this. Um, so that's another thing to be very aware of is that how you treat the accompanist is I'm personally, I'm looking at that very, very closely. Um, I, I do have a funny story, um, just people auditioning and things going funny. Um, one time we were auditioning in London (laughs) and it was for Chicago, the musical and a gentleman came in and just super smiley. Um, you know, he wasn't a young guy, but he wasn't old, but he, um, just was so giggly and so you could just tell he was having the time of his life and he introduced himself and he um, looks at the accompanist and then he turns to us and he goes into his pocket and he pulls out an American dollar bill and we're in London and we were all kind of like, what's going on? Is he like going to tip us? (laughs) And he starts to sing the American dream from (laughs) Miss Saigon and proceeds to throw dollar bills around the room. And we normally would have stopped because it was, 
not really what we're looking for, but also it was going longer than normal. But he was literally having the time of his life. We let him sing the whole song and then just told him thank you. And we all just, I will never forget it because um, just to see someone who was like, you could tell he was like, this is my moment. I'm going to do it. And so, yeah, he didn't get the job, but he will never be forgotten. <laughs> no, he took them. Did we didn't want to leave <laughs> oh, that's all, and that's with film somewhere. Yeah, there's footage of that somewhere for your for your archives. Um, just one last thing on auditions. Uh, anyone listening, what would be your number one like audition no no? Like it's a complete no no. Don't do it. Don't ever. Well, do I think the biggest well. thing is know what you're auditioning for, um, because you're just wasting our time and your time. If, like, for instance, if we're doing Chicago the Musical and you come in and you're singing. Um, a soprano aria and you're dressed in a muumuu <laughs> it's just not appropriate and and it sounds <laughs> obvious but there are many people now yeah. that's a super obvious one but you know and, and maybe even for a cruise line if you, you know some people who maybe don't have experience with cruise lines go all of the major cruise lines have incredible websites that show footage and show things that they do research what you're auditioning for you know, and, and if you can, who's in the room, um, just so that you know, oh, this is the kind of productions they do. Oh, am I that kind of person? And oh, this is the kind of music they have. Oh, I need to find something that fits that. That would be my biggest thing is that there, there, are, there are people who come in and don't have the appropriate audition material for what they're auditioning for. And that translates also into, right. I'm in a position where I'm auditioning people for multiple Broadway musicals. And it's, to see people now if you're an ensemble dancer it's okay for you to only have a couple of songs that you rotate but um if you're a singer and you come in and you're audi- and i've seen you audition for we were rocky and i've seen you audition for hairspray and i've seen you audition for cats and you bring the exact same audition song for all those shows it shows me that you're not really invested in the audition you just pull out your audition song and sing the same one so really know what you're auditioning for know what role you think you're right for or if you think you're right as a cover or whatever but really it's that's an auditioner's job is to really research and know don't just think of it as a lottery like oh i'm just gonna go show up and see what happens know what what they're auditioning for and you'll you'll have much better success Yeah, I think that's a very valuable uh, information you've given there. Know what you're auditioning for. Be prepared. Uh, you know, and like you say, if you're prepared, doing the best you can. If you don't get that role, maybe it wasn't for you. You weren't right for it, but you've given 110%. Know that you know it, you've done all you can to get that job. But when you aren't prepared. I think I've spoken about this before on another podcast. You can go away thinking like, oh, I should have done that. Should, you know, if you've done all you can, yes. then you can feel good about yourself. Um, thank you for that insight into those auditions. Um, I just want to quickly kind of go back over your career. If you, what would you say would be, it's been the most challenging thing being in the entertainment industry, <laughs> apart from COVID-19 right now, um, you know, what has been the hurdles that you faced or challenged, um, throughout your career? Uh, How well, have you that's interesting. Them? Um, I think for me, one of the, I didn't, didn't speak about it before in kind of my, wanting to get out of the performing side. But I would say one of the things for me personally that was, that was difficult was I'm a mixed race person. And nowadays that's a very, I think there's a much more openness towards that. But 25, 30 years ago, it, um, it wasn't that people, you know, it was a problem for people, but it was that there was people didn't see me fitting into things because there were really specific types for shows and, you know, and, um, and my agents, you know, after I had right. some success and I was being seen a lot, I would be just basically put up for anything that was a minority show. And the thing that's interesting about that is, 
you know, if I'm in a room with a bunch of Puerto Ricans and I'm not Puerto Rican, it's not quite matching. And if I'm in a room where, you know, it's all people going for Porgy and Bess and I'm mixed race and so I'm a lot lighter, then it's like, okay, well, he's a little different. So for me, I think that was a, a real challenge. And at the time, I don't even think I really quite consciously um, understood it until later on, especially as I saw how the, the industry is morphing now, which is wonderful. But I would say for me, that, that's something I couldn't control, yeah. you know, and, I, and ultimately it contributed to why I got out of the performing side. Um, I think that doesn't apply to people now. I think now diversity is actually, that's what everyone wants. They want, you know, and if you're mixed and you're this and that, it's, it's, that's the yeah. unique thing that people are looking for. So I wouldn't want someone to take that as something they should apply now. But what I would say for me is <clears throat> it contributed to my feeling of, mm, I don't, cause I also was like, where do I see myself fitting in, in the next 15 years of doing roles as I was getting older. And so um, I think I just kind of was realistic about that on some level and that helped contribute to that. So I would say that was a difficulty, but something that's more uh, the difficulty as far as controlling it would be, um, you know, I think the, the getting, deciding what, how, how much I loved being on the stage and what it took to be there. The amount of auditions, the amount of sacrifices, the uncertainty of that, how much of that, was I willing to put up with to continue a career? And so I think for me, that was, that was a big thing. It was realizing, okay, I achieved a certain amount, but do I want to keep reachieving that? Is that what I really wanted? And ultimately for me, then I was lucky enough to find another side of the industry. But I think that's one of the things we all have to face, not even in, as performers in, in, in any, any career, but as performers, because it is such a very special and specific yeah. thing. And, and just really, it's okay to check in with yourself and go, do I really, really want this? Not on your worst day, but on, your, on the good days and saying, you know, yes, I do. And I, and I have friends who are my age who started out when I started and are still in the business and have gone through good times and bad times and have achieved some really amazing successes later in their careers. So it's definitely, if it, if it is for you, stay with yeah. it, absolutely. And the good news is, the older you get, the fewer people are in the business. You know, when you're 20, there's everyone's in it. But when you're 50, there yeah. aren't that many people. Uh, so you, if, you re if it really is for you, you will achieve more successes as you age. I think as performers uh, as well, we put a lot of um, expectation on ourselves. I know I did or still do. Um, and I think I've spoken again about this in the last couple of weeks. It's okay to have a, a tough time and go through difficult times and know that it that's all right it's going to happen and just you know navigate that storm and there's going to be another opportunity or another casting another job uh, somewhere down the line you know i think sometimes we put all our eggs in one basket yes. that's it i need this role if i don't get it i'm giving up that's it um and that's difficult and I, I would hope people are, are changing the way they look because there's so many jobs and so many you know, Absolutely. And the other that thing that kind of goes with go that down. is reinvent yourself or reinvigorate yourself. Um, while I was on Broadway, I, I had a degree in musical theater, well, in music, really, and, but I'd done a lot of theater and things and was pretty well trained. But I just felt the need. I thought, you know, I was inspired by watching the actors I was on stage with work. And I thought, you know what, I really want to in, uh, enroll in an acting program. So I enrolled at the William Esper studio in New York city and it's a studio for professional actors, but I did their two year program. And I did this from age 26 to 28. And I, what's interesting about it is I love, it was, it was fabulous. It really 
you know, I'd had, I, I think up to that point, I really approached theater more from the musical side and that really got me more into the acting side. And it wasn't very long after that, that I decided to not be, stay on the performing side. But as a director, that two-year program has made me such a better director for people because I really understand acting and, um, and have a technique for it. And so mm-hmm. you, anything you invest in yourself, whether let's say it's a singer, you know, maybe I could have done at that time, invest more in dancing. That would have been something that if I wanted to stay in the business on the performing side, I would have absolutely had to do. And so I, in, I really encourage people. People have reached out to me during this COVID time. I, I do some coaching online and there are dancers who really want to just up their game as a singer so that when they come back, they can really, you know, not be so afraid to do vocal auditions or they can submit a vocal audition online. And so, so I think that's the kind of thing. If you yeah. stay in the business or anything within your life, just keep educating yourself and keep growing. Yeah, I think that's great. Keep, keep reinventing yourself. I'll come <laughs> yes. back and share then for when that's a musical. <laughs> that would be good. But no, I think that's valid. And like you say, as as a singer or any uh, you know dancer, singer, actor, you can always get better. You can always learn something. And I remember starting out twenty years ago singing. I can like I cannot sing that. I won't be able to sing mm-hmm. that. And actually, I can. And you do. And you get so much more experience and confidence that when you go to your next job or you go to your next audition, like, oh, yeah, I can do this. And you'll grow and continue to have that confidence. Yeah. So you talked about struggles. Uh, Before we come to the end, uh, we're getting to the end of this interview. What would you say would be your greatest professional achievement uh, along the way? Well, of course, the the first thing would be having done a role on Broadway when I took over the role of Lantan King and I. That was an incredible experience and just you know, definitely one of the pinnacles of my performing career. Um, I would say in my career as a whole, now at my age and having been a director and, and, and involved in casting, I think um, the, the, the greatest achievement I've had has been able to adapt and learn um, from hundreds and hundreds of singers that I've worked with and be open to that process. And I, it's gotten to me a place, to a place that I never even thought, you know, if someone would have asked me when I was 25, oh, well, would you ever be a director? I would have said, no way. But through these experiences, it's and the culmination of all right. that experience in my life. I've gotten to a place where I, you know, really have something to give to younger singers or any singers. And, um, and I'm very grateful for that. It's made my career very fulfilling. Yeah. So what advice would you give um, to someone maybe listening to this? What resources could they find or use? They're thinking about moving from being a performer to a director or a vocal director. Um, are there any platforms or resources that they can source out to help them oh, with that transition? Or what um, would you recommend? I mean, I did it do? by myself, kind of just following my, my own path. But I would say right now, one of the best things that people can do is really look online for um, places that are offering coachings and classes. Um, a lot of things are quite inexpensive because they're online. And, you know, if there's a directing course or um, if there's some kind of collaborative, um, you know, uh, artistic thing that you can find um, or and also speak to um people that you know and respect. If you've worked with a director and you could say, hey, or a casting person or something, I've, I've known people to um, you know, do an internship with casting because they've always been kind of interested and they're at that stage where yeah. they're thinking about maybe leaving performing. And so doing an internship or asking someone to maybe be a mentor or, hey, could I just you know, um, have a Zoom session with you to ask about a couple of things. I'm interested in pursuing this, where would I go? Um, I think that that's a really valuable thing. Use the people that you know, um, and then just ask people about it a lot. And, and, but look online. There's so many resources. I, 
since I'm past that transition stage um, and there, it wasn't, you know, things weren't that open for online things when I was that age, but um, I, I'm not as versed in it, but I do know there are lots of people. And even now I just was looking at, um, there's some uh, interesting online vocal things that uh, have come up over um, COVID. And so I'm thinking about, oh, you know what? I've got some time now. I want to invest in doing some classes with that just as to keep me, you know, into something new. And that might lead me into other areas. Who knows? Yeah. What um, would you say makes a great vocal director, not a good one, a great well, one that gets the um, best out of their performers and the product? <laughs> well, um, I would say... Apart from yourself. Um, well, you have to know the voice. <laughs> you have to know how the voice works and be able to hear it and see it in someone. Um, you also have to create a safe space and a space where people are able to take risks and go beyond what they think. Um, I think one of the things that has helped me be successful is I maintain a vision for where I know this person can go. And I, some of it I can't explain, like even with you, it's like I can hear in your voice, I can see in you. I, I always look at the, hot, the best version of someone when I'm working with them and know, yes, they have these insecurities and yes, they have that, but I don't need to add to that. What I need to add to is where is it that I can see them going? It's very much like a sports coach would. It's like, I know with this training, they're going to be able to jump that extra yeah. foot or whatever it is. And so it's the combination of knowing what their voice is, um, also seeing people for who they are, because um, I, I do not believe in making people sound like someone else. Everyone, ha of course, there are similar voice types, but knowing that someone... Um, there's a sound that's them. And that's something that I've, because I've worked with so many people, I really, I can hear it when it's like, oh, that's you, that is you. It's, there's something that's unique and it's organic to you. And it, it just comes out more easily and more mm. fully. And mm. it, there's an energy I can see in people because it's actually, there's a comfort there where they're just doing something. They, they're not trying to do something. It's just them coming out. And that takes a lot of just being able to give someone comfort and then also technically knowing, oh, okay, you're pinching on that or oh, you need to support more there, those kinds of things. So it's part like a, almost like a coach or a, you know, almost like a therapist, a little bit of that. And then the technical musical side. And then, but for yeah, me, the, yeah. and the other bottom line is there has to be joy in it. And that's the thing is I really do find joy in working with singers. And so if you're someone who if you really love this, the voice and, and working with singers and singing, then you're, a lot of those things will come naturally. If it's kind of like a slog or you're someone who's like, well, I'm doing this because I didn't get that role. So I'm going to now teach this, you know, that's that kind of energy is harder to get good results. Right. And, and you see that process from the beginning, yes. right? Oh, through to the yes, end. exactly. Be, Many singers, you know, very you know uh, it, the thing is, well, a lot of times they even surpass my idea, but, to see someone who felt like, oh, I'm not sure I can do that song. And they're like, I'm dreading doing this song. And then opening night, you see them and it's like the, their shining moment in the show. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm really doing it. And it's amazing. Great. Quick questions before I let you go. Um, if there was a dream singer oh my gosh. Or a dream show um, that you could direct, what would it be? Oh, it's, it's hard to say the singer because there are so many voices I love. Um, I would say, do you know what is interesting is one of the things that I have not done, I've done just dabbling it slightly, but one thing I would love to do is, you know how there are a lot of shows now where, like for instance, um, The Prom, like Nicole Kidman is singing in it and she's, yeah, she can sing, but she's not really a yeah. singer. She's not, that's not what her big background is. I would love to work with people like that who are very high profile and have a great success in their acting careers, but 
their voice wasn't necessarily the reason they got there. I would love to um, work with people like that to help them achieve, you know, feel very secure. Um, I actually studied with yeah. a teacher who helped Madonna do Evita, the movie. She was her main coach for that. And she, I worked with her after that time and it was, um, I could see why she did it. Um, she just has, was the right person for that kind of thing. But I, that's, that's the kind of thing. So it's not really a specific singer, but that genre. Yeah, that would be amazing. I think that's hopefully happening because I I did watch the prom actually. I was mm-hmm. very impressed this time. I'm not really a, a Meryl fan when she sings, and I was like, wow, I saw such a, tra- Absolutely. a, a journey from when you know listening to her and say "Mamma Mia." I know it's different yep, to what yep, she's doing exactly. then. I was like, wow, you're like a completely see, different you know, singer even with celebrities. Yeah, yeah, and it's nice to see music coming back into movies a lot more now, which yeah. is great. Yeah, it's brilliant. Last thing before I let you go, so. Uh, you've given so much advice and insights into, uh, you know, being a singer or casting, vocal director, just for anybody that's looking to get in the entertainment industry or continue in the path that they're doing, or like you say, maybe transitioning now into a different sector. Just a general advice, if you could sum it up in a few words, you know, what you'd wish you'd known and the advice you'd give to someone <laughs> wanting to well, get in the industry the or continue in the industry. I wish I could, ha- there were some people who tried to tell me this, it was hard for me to hear it, is that there is no one path and there's no one answer. So, um, but what I think that you can do is, I know there was a period in my life when I was reading um, biographies and watching biographies on television of famous people like Bette Midler is one that stuck out to me because she's so original and she's not necessarily, you know, the world's best singer, the world's best actress, but there's something so compelling about her. Um, so I would, I would advise that you, um, Put your focus on people that you admire. Surround yourself as much as you can with people that you respect and and admire what they're doing if they are in the performing arts. Um, read about a lot of people's journeys, especially famous people that you enjoy them, and see you know what what how their lives came to be what they are. And I, I think that the, the biggest um, quality that I see yeah. among all of those people is an authenticity that it is. They ultimately aren't afraid. They ultimately are willing to put themselves out as they really are. Um, and it's not that they're not afraid. That's the other thing is don't it. Yeah. When we do things, especially people who are very successful, it's not because they're not afraid. Uh, there are many, there are times when I go into a directing situation, I'm like, what am I going to say about this? But I just always tell myself, Ben, just be honest in the moment and do the very best you can. And it always works out because my, my intent is there. So as a young, anyone's, if you're looking for things that you're doing and wanting to know your path, I think that's the thing is just, it's okay if you don't know, there is no right or wrong because all of it will add up to something, but just keep going forward and keep getting as much experiences as you can. Yeah, love it. I feel like, you know, I'm I'm even learning just listening to that as well. You know, you can always learn and that's some fantastic <laughs> advice. Ben, I think I, we could talk for hours, I think. There's so many questions that I want to ask you and find out and, you know, really sure. dive into, but hopefully we'll be able to do that again in the future. Uh, for anybody anybody listening, like say uh, Ben's a fantastic vocal director and during this downtime is doing that. So I will uh, put his contact details uh, in this podcast so you are able to reach out. Um, and I've worked with him firsthand. It's a fantastic experience and you'll only learn and grow so uh, reach out but Ben thank you so much for joining me on Industry Insights it was such a pleasure and I really hope I get to see you again thank soon thank you so much this was wonderful you, uh, again down the line at some point bye bye Ben take care thank you thanks again for joining me on Industry Insights with DPDS 
been a pleasure having you. We will see you next week for our next episode where I'll be interviewing more entertainment industry professionals, sharing their stories. Until then, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and all the links will be provided in this podcast. Until then, enjoy your morning, afternoon, or evening. And most of all, stay safe.